We're brothers and sisters. <clears throat> what kind of fruit do you think it was? Well, when you picture the Garden of Eden and you picture the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you picture Adam and Eve taking that fruit, what, what kind of fruit do you think it was? Now, now the Bible never explicitly says, so you can have your own opinion. Um, if you are like most Christians, you probably picture an apple. Uh, most Christian art throughout the 2,000 years of the church, usually, usually it's an apple. But... If you would have asked a, a Jewish rabbi or the experts in the Old Testament from around Jesus' time and even before that, you know what they would have said? A pomegranate. And if you've ever had a pomegranate, maybe, maybe you know why. A pomegranates are kind of rare even now, but back then they would have been a really, really rare, sweet delicacy. And they're delicious, right? They, they're, they're really sweet and they make a really nice juice and they actually have a lot of health benefits. You know what else they do? They stain. Bad. If you ever have a pomegranate, you don't use your fingers, you use your spoon to get all those seeds out because if you use your fingers, eventually what happens is that juice it seeps into your fingertips and your fingernails and it hardens really quickly and your fingers actually turn black. And the stain is really, really difficult to get out. And I think that's kind of the reason why a lot of people think of the pomegranate. Because as difficult as that pomegranate stain is to get off your hands, that stain of guilt would have been even harder to get off the hands of Adam and Eve. They tried to get that stain off, right? They tried to hide from God, but that didn't work. He found them. They tried to get that stain off by playing the blame game. Adam says, well, well, God, you know, the woman you put here, she's the one who took it first, and really it's your fault because you put her here. And then Eve does the same thing and says, well, well the serpent you put here, well, he's the one who tempted me. But it didn't work. The stain never went away. In fact, that stain of guilt before a holy God, not only did it remain, but it actually was passed on to all the people that would come from Adam and Eve. Obvious proof was Cain. The first person ever born killed his own brother in cold blood. And every single person that came from Adam and Eve had that stain. And God even says in Genesis chapter 6, all these people, their hearts want nothing but evil all the time. That's the stain. And it only took one man. It only took one. And that's kind of the point that Paul is trying to make in his letter to the Romans in chapter 5. Where you see the language he's using, through one man, everything was destroyed. One man, everything was ruined. But then how much more through one man will everything be redeemed and restored and made perfect? But to Paul's first point, uh, through one man, all things were destroyed. It only took one. Um, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you uh, have ever dealt with small children or have raised small children? Yeah, probably most of you. Um, how many of the small children that you have dealt with lied and whined? And through temper tantrums, 
and stole and, and hit and, and cried and were, were naughty. Probably most of them. How many of you taught them to do that? How, how, how many of you had to teach them to do that? Likely none of you. Why is that? Well, why, why is sinning so obvious for, for little kids? Well, uh, Paul gives his answer. Adam. Adam knew what God said, and yet he still decided to take that fruit and eat it, and then blame him as if it were God's fault that that happened. And that's the sting. That's the guilt. And, and, and Paul says that when Adam did that, when he sinned against God, God's words came true. If you eat from this tree, you will die. But that not, came true not only for Adam and Eve, but for everyone that would come from Adam and Eve, including you and I. That is the stain. That is the guilty stain of being guilty before a holy God. Paul says it in verse 12. In this way, death came to all people because all people sinned. When Adam sinned, we all sinned. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's not fair. Why should I be punished for something that I didn't do? Why should I be punished by God for the sins of a person that I don't even know? Paul's answer? Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Think about all the people that you have hurt in your life. Think about all the lies that you have told. All the ways that you have cut people down through your words. All the selfish decisions that you have made knowing that they were selfish but you didn't care. Each and every single one of us is living proof that God's word is true. And that his condemnation of every single human being through Adam is right. Because Adam may have started it, but we keep it going. None of us are better than Adam. We all do what Adam did. And if we die and go to hell, it's not Adam's fault, it's ours. And I, I think to, to maybe point this out, Maybe you think like Adam sometimes. Maybe you see that in yourself. Maybe you think like this. Well, yeah, you know, I, I know what God says about uh, how I'm supposed to treat my spouse and how I'm supposed to raise my kids and how I'm supposed to respect people and put their uh, needs before my own and how I'm supposed to use my resources to, to love other people and not myself. But I want to be happy. And so I'm going to do what makes me happy. Even if that means my spouse get hurt, gets hurt, even if that means that my kids get neglected, even if that means my friends get betrayed, even if my enemies, well, the people I don't like, well, they deserve it anyway. And yeah, you know, I may not be perfect. Yeah, you know, maybe I do some things that are wrong, but you know what? God's the one that put me in this position. He's the one putting all these things in my life. I mean, she said this, and he did that, and... And they don't respect me like they should. It's God's fault. 
He's the one putting me in this position. He's making me do this. You know, I don't think God knows what he's doing. In fact, I I don't think I respect God very much. I I think I should be in control instead of him. In fact, I don't think I want to be around him. In fact, I think I would rather go to hell instead of be in the presence of God whom I neither love nor respect. That's Adam. That's Adam. And that's all of us. And if you're, you're sitting here thinking, well, well that's not really me. I... Be honest with yourself. Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you say the things that you say? Why do you think the things that you think? Can, can you honestly say that, that even the good things that you do aren't ultimately just for yourself? That your motives are really that pure and things really aren't your fault? It's all of us. We all have that guilty stain. This is what we call original sin. That all of us are born hating God and loving ourselves. And everything we do, good, bad, ugly, or otherwise, is ultimately for number one. You know what the worst part is? When God sends people to hell, which he does, he's not dragging them kicking or screaming. Original sin means that when God sends people to hell, he is not only giving them what they deserve, he's giving them what they desire. The epitome of original sin is that I would rather go to hell on my terms with me in control than go to heaven on God's terms with him in control. All of us are naturally like that. And it only took one. But look at what Paul says. The gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? That one man, Jesus Christ, true God, became a human being, born of the Virgin Mary, but conceived by the Holy Spirit, not born in the normal human way, so he did not have that stain of original sin. And yet he was still put under the curse of all, that all of us have to deal with, meaning he was hungry, he was thirsty, he was weak, even though he was the almighty God of the universe. And look at what he does in Matthew chapter 4. He goes and fights and wins the battle against Satan that all of us, especially Adam, lost. Satan throws everything he has in his arsenal at him. Uh, comfort, glory, power, all of it. All the things that we fall for, and Jesus said no. Jesus did every perfect thing that that we should have done but don't do. He was everything that we should be but could never be. He was the only one who could legitimately say, I don't deserve to die. But that's what he came to do. 
You see, Jesus came down to earth not, not to be like an example for us, for, for us to emulate so that we can learn how to please God. No. He came to live the perfect life that none of us can live. And then he came to die the death that we all should have died. You see, when Jesus was on the cross, the, the most painful part about it was not the, the nails in his hand or the thorns in his head. When he died on the cross, he was suffering the anger and the wrath of God himself over every atrocity, every horrible thing that has ever happened in the world, all of it on him. He was suffering the eternity in hell that every single human being deserves. And it worked. When Jesus rose from the grave, he proved that it worked. His sacrifice worked. And now when God looks at each and every single one of you, he does not see your past. He does not see your flaws. He does not see all the legitimately really bad things that you've done in your life. He sees nothing except the perfect life of Jesus himself and loves you and accepts you and cherishes you and delights in you as if you were Christ himself. And it only took one. It only took one to do that. And, and I, I call your attention to, um, re, re, you read this Romans 5, 12 to 19 again, look at all the all people kind of language that, that Paul uses. All people, all people, all people, all people. You know what he's doing there? He's teaching what we call objective justification. Objective meaning that it happened, right? It happened. Whether you know about it or not, it happened. And justification, God declaring you perfect, holy, without any kind of sin. That means that you never have to wonder whether or not God really forgives you. You never have to wonder whether or not God really loves you or whether or not you're really forgiven. It's yours. It's yours. And all it took was one. Um, admittedly, uh, this is a really a theologically dense uh, portion of Scripture. There, there's some things in here that, you know, I could have got to, but you, know, well, you only have 20 minutes in a sermon, right? You can't get to every little thing. And, and I, I know, yet, original sin is a really deep, difficult theological concept to understand. It, it, there's a lot of things to talk about. Um, but this doesn't mean that a, a theological sermon is one of those sermons where you just kind of turn your brain off and think, oh, you know, that's for like the theology nerds. I'm going to wait for something more practical. No. Um, I, I would argue that the more you understand original sin, well, the more you understand yourself, the more you understand people in general, and uh, the more you understand the gospel. Well, the first point, the, the, the better you understand original sin, the better you understand yourself. Uh, you understand, uh, there, there's, we live in a culture where uh, we are constantly hearing things like, well, you know, you got to listen to your heart, or you got to go with your gut, essentially saying that if you feel a certain way, well, then it's true, and if you feel like you should do a certain thing, well, then you really should. 
And if you feel hurt by a certain thing, well, then that's legit. You have every right to feel that way. And original sin means that's, that's really not true. There are some things that you're mad about that you shouldn't be mad about. There are some things that you're offended by that you really shouldn't be offended by. Now, please understand, I'm not trying to like gaslight you and saying that, you know, you never have the right to be angry about anything. No, sometimes you do. Sometimes you do. But sometimes you don't. And the more you understand original sin and how it affects your thought patterns and the way you look at people, the way you look at the world, the way you perceive people's actions, and the way that that you feel about things, all of it's deeply affected by sin that helps you have a more accurate view of yourself, that helps you ask, well, why did her words bother me so much? Why do these people make me so upset? Why did that decision uh, make me so mad? And when you understand your own original sin, well, that certainly humbles you, but it makes you more able to apologize when you're wrong. It makes you more able to let people, put people before you and let their preferences go before your own. It, essentially, it makes you a better spouse and a better parent, a better friend, a better coworker. But more importantly than that, The better you understand original sin, the better you understand the gospel. Original sin means that there is absolutely nothing inside any single one of us that would ever make God want to save me or love me or make me be his child. There's absolutely nothing. Sometimes we, we kind of tell ourselves, well, you know, maybe God like saw like a spark inside of us or maybe he saw uh, my potential as a Christian. So that's, no, no, no. Original sin means that there is nothing inside any single one of us that would make God want us. But he still did. He still did. The more you understand original sin, the more you understand just how passionately and how deeply Jesus loves you and how desperately he wanted you. And this is, what, this is why we have the, the season of Lent. This is where we kind of meditate on all of our, our, our bad things, all of our original sin, all of the things that are bad about us, and we realize, yeah, you know what, there's really not much inside of me that Jesus would ever want, but then we run to the cross and we look at Jesus upon the tree and we realize, he must have really loved me. He must have really, really loved me. And my brothers and sisters, it only took one. It took one to give us the the sinful stain that we couldn't get off, but then again, it only took one to completely take it away forever. As the hymn writer says, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Amen.